0: This episode is brought to you by Harry's. Harry sent me a razor starter kit recently to try, and I put it to use very quickly because I keep myself clean shaven. In fact, I pretty much shave every single day because I have lots of facial hair. It grows back very quickly, and it's also really thick, and it hurts a lot (laughs) when I shave normally with a bad razor, at least. So I've been using Harry's razors for like a week now. They're very nice. It's a five blade razor, and I have to say, it really does effortlessly shave through my normally very annoying facial hair it doesn't hurt one bit no tugging anything like that and it stayed sharp the entire time as well i'm very impressed so far it also has kind of a good weight to it it's like heavier than normal i don't know it's like it's just got a good weight to it i really like that i didn't know i liked it before but now i know i like it i also really liked the shaving cream just because it smells really good Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by questionable shaving products and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of other big brands. Harry's has a customizable delivery option for scheduled refills as low as $2, half of what you pay from other big brands. Don't settle for the status quo. Blaze your own trail with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash otherworld. That's harrys.com slash otherworld for a $3 trial set. I have always wished that my Spanish was better. Living in Southern California and going to Mexico a lot for surfing, weekend trips, stuff like that, is just very handy. I took three years of it in high school, but I really didn't learn that much from the books. I basically only got really good at asking various types of people where the library is located, which turns out to be not a phrase you use that often when you're on vacation. Rosetta Stone is a much more organic and easy way to learn a new language because it really immerses you in that language. It's the most trusted language learning program available on desktop, and also it has an app. Rosetta Stone is the trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered, including Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, and Polish. Like I said, it's fast language acquisition because it really immerses you in the language. There's no English translations, so you really learn to speak, listen, and think in that language. They also have speech recognition features like True Accent, which gives you feedback on your pronunciation. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. It's also an amazing value. They offer a lifetime membership, which includes all 25 languages, which is perfect for any and all trips you might have in your future with various languages you might want to learn. Don't put off learning that new language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Otherworld listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com otherworld today. Welcome to Otherworld. I'm your host, Jack Wagner. Typically on the show, there's a lot of stuff that goes on behind the scenes with a story before you ever hear it on the show or before we even book the interview. Usually, there's lots of back and forth over email, sussing people out, asking a lot of follow-up questions, but with this episode, I pretty much booked the interview before I even finished reading the email. It read, "'Hello, Jack, I love your show. "'I've had several paranormal experiences in my life, including one that happened to myself and another female WWE pro wrestler. That's right. This story comes from a female pro wrestler. Her name is Chantal Malowski, AKA Taylor Wilde. She's a Canadian pro wrestler, three-time TNA Women's Knockout Tag Team Champion. She also did a bout in the WWE. And on top of that, she's also a firefighter. For all of these reasons, I was really interested in talking to her And it's one of those interviews where the non-paranormal aspects of this person's story was as fascinating if not more fascinating than the paranormal part i thought it was so interesting hearing the details about how she got started as a pro wrestler and what that job is actually like so there's a good chunk of this episode that's just about wrestling but the paranormal incident that she wrote in about took place while she was staying with her friend also a WWE wrestler. Her name is Tegan Knox, and she lived in Orlando at the time. Something strange happened to her in that house, and Chantal thought that something might have followed her home. Because of that, she ended up having to seek out the help of a few of her friends to help fight this thing off. And part of the reason I like this story is that there's a surprising amount of parallels between her paranormal stories and the wrestling world. In fact, it was occasionally hard not to say some very corny wrestling puns while I was doing this interview with Chantel, Like for instance, saying something like, this is a story of a reigning champion finding herself in a pin she couldn't escape. Or that sometimes you need teammates to tag in in order to defeat a mysterious opponent. But no, luckily I would never say corny things like that. Let's get this episode started. This is episode 68. The title is Dark Match and you're listening to Otherworld. Hello? Is this Bobby? Yes, it is. At, at its core, the science, you can't argue with. Exactly. I'm worried about all the science.
1: Mm-hmm. Up in the sky.
0: It's almost frustrating that it's happening. I'm, yes, I'm going to die. Just, it's okay, limbs. were just like wrong. Just, just
1: Everybody moves back into the light, even if it takes them a minute.
2: My name is Chantel Miloski, and to the wrestling world, I'm known as Taylor Wild. I started wrestling when I was actually just shy of 18 years old. I signed up to a wrestling school in Toronto, and it was run by a man who was kind of a big deal in the Toronto wrestling world. In the 70s early 80s and it was exactly what you would picture like a school of hard knocks to be it was disgusting it was in a basement there was 100% cockroaches and bed bugs and all the things that go bump in the night and the ring itself was a disaster it was broken two by fours with you know an inch of foam across the entire ring my parents had to sign a waiver because you have to be at least 18, so they needed parental consent. And the reason I even found this wrestling school was I was in grade 12 and did um, like a co-op, so you you help in a work setting and you basically do um, like job shadowing stuff for six months. And it was a Parks and Rec City of Toronto gym, uh, it was at the Olympium, which wasn't far from my home. And the guy who fixed the gym equipment was a local professional wrestler, which probably should have been my first red light or stop sign. <laughs> um, and he told me, uh, I trained at this school, and they're always looking for women. Is this something you'd be interested in? That's how I ended up in the dungeon. I think I trained for about six months. And it was it was a large amount of money for, I want to say it was... 2004, I believe. And I want to say it was like $2,000. And my parents signed me up. They signed, they they paid this $2,000, which was supposed to be like a lifetime membership. Like you you pay that installment and then you train for however long you need to train for. And then at the six month mark, we showed up for training on a Saturday and the doors were locked and there was no one there and they were gone. <laughs> Yeah. And and the, the gentleman who I will remain who can remain nameless because he did train a lot of uh Toronto legends and who are still on WWE and AEW today. And uh he actually didn't show up. I think he showed up like once to wave his little hat, but he had his like right-hand man there uh training us and for for the negative aspect of my parents losing their two thousand dollars and it being like very carney esque or a con man thing. It taught me from a very young age, like uh, don't don't trust things for as they appear. Like don't trust a book by its cover, and this is not a this is not a business for people with thin skin. And then not too long after that, I was redirected to a school called Squared Circle in Toronto, who was it was run by uh, a man named Rob Fuego, and he was actually trained by the traveling circus that closed their doors and took my money, and he had trained every woman that was from Toronto that made it to the big time. And I said, okay, I'm gonna give this a good go. I'm gonna do the things I'm supposed to do. I'm gonna finish high school. I enrolled in university. Uh, I started uh, like a generalized year in a BA and I'm gonna wrestle as much as I can. And if I can make it in a year and a half, then I'm just gonna go for it or two years sort of thing. And um, just shy of my 20th birthday, I got signed to WWE that was kind of the beginning of my career. And uh, I was there for a year. I basically ran the end of my contract. They had nothing more for me. I came back home, re-enrolled in university, and six months later, TNA, which was total nonstop action at the time, called me out of the blue. They said, we want you. Will you move back to uh, Florida? And I said, absolutely not. I will fly out of Toronto. And then I flew every two weeks to film film, in Orlando at Universal Studios, which is where their residency was. And then I had a career for five years and within a week of, or no, within like a month of the storyline on the show, I was put in the audience as a plant to challenge Awesome Kong for the $25,000 challenge and a shot at the knockouts title.
0: As you've seen for the last several weeks here at TNA Wrestling, The TNA Knockouts champion Awesome Kong, along with Raisha Saeed, have issued an open challenge to any female in attendance tonight over the age of 18 that feels she can defeat Awesome Kong.
2: And I leapt out of the crowd and I fought the, it was like the quintessential David and Goliath story.
0: You are getting the opportunity to fight Awesome Kong tonight. Sign the contract, Taylor, and you will be stepping in the ring for $25,000. The contract signed. Here we go. Wow! Look at Taylor!
2: And I fought the beast, and eventually I won the $25,000 challenge, and I became Knockouts champion. So it was a real turn of events from when I started. It'll be on YouTube. Um, Taylor Wilde versus Awesome Kong, twenty five thousand dollar challenge. Yeah, that that was really the moment that made my career. That's what took me from, you know, being this indie wrestler that had a lot of momentum because at the time, like you said, when you watched when it was the Divas, it was very much about. Um, these like Jenna Jameson, Pamela Anderson looking girls, uh, who were, you know, just doing like bra and panties matches and doing a lot of cat fights. And when Trish Stratus and Lita came in, then this like athleticism started. And that's when I was really into wrestling with Trish was like kind of the top of the top of her game. And I was thinking to myself like, wow, she's beautiful and she's from Toronto, but she's so athletic. And that's, that's really what I gripped onto. So my career, uh, the trajectory went up pretty fast because I was really athletic and I still am at, you know, I'm 38 now, not 20, but that's, that's where I kind of hit the ground running. So five years with what was then called TNA and I kind of had the same mindset. If by 25, I'm not rolling in the dough and my life is solid and I could see myself doing this for the rest of my life. Uh, if that wasn't the case, then I was going to retire from wrestling at 25 and try a different career. And because, you know, you reach 25 and all I have on my resume is I can yell at the camera and, uh, fake fight and, uh, walk through smoke machines and look good in a sparkly outfit. So (laughs) it wasn't exactly where I wanted my life to go. And I, I did retire at 25, which made me the black sheep of wrestling because that was arguably the peak of my career. Um, And within a couple of years, I became a full time Toronto firefighter. And I joined Toronto Fire in 2015. And I still, that's what I still do full time. Well, the reality of being a professional wrestler is you just literally don't ever know where you're going to end up. Like, you don't know if you know, your, your career is on an upward trajectory. If you're going to get hurt, like it's just, it, it's wild, no pun intended. So the first thing is I, I want to focus on that. I don't think a lot of people talk about is you have zero job security. You are not in a union. Uh, your contracts are usually, they benefit the company. um, you. It has nothing to do with uh, who you are as a person, your work ethic, your loyalty to a company. At the end of the day, uh, your job is dependent on a team of writers or a creative team, and they have to connect you to some storyline on screen that will keep you relevant on the show. And you can't be relevant forever. Like even Stone Cold and The Rock, who are some of the biggest names in professional wrestling, at some point they have to walk away or they have to focus on someone new and build someone else new up so that you can care about them and then feud with the rock or stone cold. So the career is not forever. Um, Then there's the actual physicality aspect of it. Um, It hurts. (laughs) Like it hurts. It's, it's, um, I did a show for the discovery channel in my very early years, like my first two years. And it was the science behind professional wrestling and what that does to your body. And we did a lot of tests like dropping a watermelon from the top rope and how that would smash. And they said, don't quote me exactly, but every time you hit the mat, even though you're hitting it safely, it's like being on a head-on collision going 60 kilometers an hour or whatever the equivalent is, miles per hour. (laughs) Um, So it, it takes a real toll on your body and wrestlers don't make a lot of money in the beginning, so you're not uh, taking care of yourself. You're not going to physiotherapy and massage or going for uh, cryogenic baths, what we could do in you know the later part of your career and look after yourself. So you kinda, <clears throat> you beat yourself up before you even get going. And something like uh, developmental, when you first get signed to WWE, you train Monday to Friday in the ring. And to get to the point where you actually make it to WWE, you've already been wrestling for a few years. Your body's already breaking down. So even though you are living the dream and you're there to train Monday to Friday and take falls on the mat, which we call bumps and to wrestle and to work on strikes and uh, matches and your body is just screaming at you, your joints are screaming at you and That's just the training aspect. That's just to keep the job. Then you have to perform at the highest level possible at least once a week and put on a stellar match for an audience and come across like you're fresh as a daisy. And it's just... Physically, really hard on you. And then there's the mental aspect. There's the dieting. There's uh, having the sisterhood in a locker room, but you're all directly competing with each other. So it's this weird, um, you're friends, you keep people close, but not too close because you might want to leapfrog their career. There's just, an immense amount of politics going on and you don't really know who your friends are and everyone's hungry and <laughs> then there's the aspects of the partying that's gone on historically with wrestling. So now you have people who are hungover or maybe have taken one too many pain pills to cope with the lifestyle, like that Elvis effect kind of thing where you take something to go to the gym and then you take something to get you hyped for your match and then you take something to to cool out for the night and be able to sleep. And I just think that wrestling is a place where misfits find one another and we don't fit in anywhere else in the world and it's your home, it's your family, but it really is a traveling circus. That's where wrestling started was the circus. And um yeah, it's 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 really it's a hard career mentally and physically. It's some of the best years of my life. But it's not something you can just do forever. It it takes its toll. I always say the the movie The Wrestler with Mickey Rourke, uh, people just say, oh, it's so dark and it's so heavy and it's sad. And, you know, we see one side uh, on TV where everyone's thriving and larger than life. But for the most part, it's anywhere from like 200 to 220 days a year on the road, you kiss Weddings, funerals, birthday parties, the birth of children, goodbye, and you sell your soul to become the weekend entertainment. And all those things combined really take their toll on you. So I had had this great career Started really early with WWE within two years, which in itself is an accomplishment. People can go their whole careers and, and never make it to the big show. Um, and then I pivoted. I went to TNA wrestling, and I had this great career. And I was the Knockouts champion. And I started the Knockouts um, tag team titles. I had so I could so much I could look back on. And I, you know, I say I'm proud of myself. And I had a great career. And then I became a firefighter. Which is, is, again, not the um, not for the faint of heart, for a multitude of reasons. Um, you know, it's an old boys club. It's very physical. But I've kind of been a lifelong adrenaline junkie, and I like a challenge. But then the pandemic hit. And being a first responder during the pandemic was a, a very trying time, for all the reasons we know. Uh, and... Like a lot of people, I also decided to get a divorce during the pandemic, which made everything that much more relaxing. And through it, um, you know, through a bad marriage, through a messy divorce, custody battle, you lose yourself. And I was lost. And I thought, you know what, it's been eight years away from wrestling at this point. And when I retired from wrestling, unlike a lot of people who retire from a limelight position, I was done. I wanted nothing to do with wrestling. I would stay connected to my friends and wrestling family. I'd watch The Odd Show, but I was done. I had no intention of ever going back to it. But I thought, what better time? My life is completely upside down. Let's go back to wrestling. And I returned to uh, what is called Impact Wrestling now, formerly TNA. I had a few good months, but due to being in a nasty divorce and custody battle and being Canadian with all the extra rules around quarantine and traveling, it basically stunted my return to wrestling. And I decided, okay, I'm just going to take a trip to Florida one of these weekends when I don't have my son and I'm going to visit my a few of my girlfriends who I've known in the industry for a long time and will just, you know, sit around and talk about the world of wrestling that's weird and wonderful in all those ways and just kind of get my mind off of everything. And I met up with my girlfriend, Tegan Knox, who is a current WWE superstar, and she was going through it at the time as well. She lived in Orlando and she had been with WWE for a few years and then lost her job. A bunch of people lost their job at this time. It was during the pandemic. And she is actually Welsh and was just on the cusp of getting her green card situation sorted out. But then it got slammed to a halt because of COVID. So here she is kind of in a similar position as me. She's lost her job. Uh, she doesn't know the status of her um, like legal work situation. And um yeah, so here, we're two miserable ladies, just trying to have a nice weekend, sit on the beach and um, you know, hang out, catch up. So needless to say, we were both going through some, some dark times. So I got to her house and I just thought, okay, this feels really heavy and dark, but I didn't really wanna judge it that much and I was going through my own stuff. So I thought, oh, maybe I'm just projecting the way I'm feeling energetically into her house. And, uh, so we were going to go to the beach that day and for whatever reason, we both just felt overwhelmingly exhausted. And we ended up just sitting in her dark living room, catching up, talking, and throughout the day, she has two dogs. I noticed that her, I think he's golden retriever or she was just sitting in front of what was her game room and was just staring into the room. And I watched it throughout the day. And then finally I said to Deacon, I was like, what is up with your dog? Like, why is he not going in that room? And she's like, oh man, like I've been having problems in this house. There's something with this room. I seldom go into that room. There's always noises coming from that room. And my dogs will just randomly bark. And as she's telling me this, I notice that there are little like orbs kind of Happening, And I just thought, oh, whatever, I'm tired or maybe, maybe there are orbs. It was just like little sparkly white dots that I could see in my peripheral, like just going by. And I feel like throughout my life, I've seen things like that where there are orbs or it seems like wishes of, en- like, um wishes of energy. And it's not something scary. I always just think to myself like, yeah, okay, there's probably something here, but just making themselves known and I'm getting get on with my life. And I was like, okay, there's definitely something going on in this house. Animals are always the most susceptible to energy and they see things that we can't see and they can never tell us what they see or feel. Um, so it was probably around, I don't know, 11 o'clock. We had our day and we both recited into different sides of the house. Like her, the two bedrooms were like opposite ends of the house, her bedroom and the guest room I was staying in. And the guest room was at the front of the house and the her room was in the back of the house. And so I went to bed, no issues, falling asleep. And then uh, some hours later, I was just in a dead sleep and it sounded like every sprinkler in the neighborhood had turned on, which... You know, in a normal neighborhood, that's, you know, as the sun's coming up when everyone's starting their day and you're, you know, making your coffee and, you know, fetching the newspaper. So this was like in the middle of the night, like it felt really abrupt. Like I was probably in the middle of REM sleep and it was loud enough that it woke me up out of a dead sleep And as I'm laying there listening, thinking, that's really weird that the sprinklers are on, what time is it? As I went to reach for my phone, not only did the sound get louder and more intense, it literally felt like it jumped into the room and it it was like it was on surround sound. That's the best way I can describe it. It went from this noise outside that was loud enough to wake me up from sleep, but now it is in the room with me and it is everywhere. And it became deafening. And as soon as it became deafening, then that's when I felt like this pressure jump up onto the bed, which was then at my feet. And that pressure just felt like a a human rolling pin that kind of spread from my feet all the way up my body and like in a really even manner. And if I looked down, I felt like I could see like the pressure moving up the bed. Um, And this like noise was still in the room. So now it's like this maddening noise of what sounds like a sprinkler that just keeps getting louder and louder and louder. And this pressure that is pinning me down on the bed and it's holding my shoulders down. And I, I remember it was like I looked down and I could see like the bed moving and I could see that there was like pressure and it, it was like literally a rolling pin up my body and until it got to my shoulders. And it was like this pressure, this heaviness of somebody sitting on my chest or pressing my shoulders down. And it wasn't that I couldn't move my feet. It was just pure... Fear and shock, but my mind was working perfectly fine. There was nothing I could see, but it was, there was obviously this un- indescribable thing that was happening. And then the only thing I can think of doing is trying to scare or, you know, be bigger than the bear <laughs> that you can't see. And I just closed my eyes because you can't battle something that's not there. And the only way I could fight back on it was close my eyes and say, go away, you're not welcome here, I'm not interested in whatever you're bringing to this room, Um, just go away. And I just kept saying it on a loop. And eventually, like all in one fail swoop, the pressure stopped, the sprinkler sound stopped, and that's when it just... Everything felt light. It was just like, and then I heard a toilet flush. was <laughs> a really strange way to transition out of that. But everything stopped and I heard a toilet flush and I thought, okay, Tegan's wake. Maybe I'm going to dart across the room, jump into bed with her and be like, dude, your house is haunted. You need to sort your life out. Uh, we need to burn some sage. Uh, but it was matched very quickly with a sick feeling. And I thought, fuck it. I'm going to just turn the light on Um, check the time and I'm just going to pretend none of this happened and I'll tell Tegan about it in the morning. And I checked my phone and it was a really obscure time. It was like 2.47 in the morning. And somehow I fell back asleep. We went on with our lives. We both set our alarm for like eight in the morning. We had a photo shoot we were going to do together um, with a local photographer that day. So we both wake up. I meet her in the hallway and I said, dude, your house is so haunted. I explained to her what happened. And I said, and then I finished saying, I heard you go to the bathroom in the middle of the night and I was gonna run into your room. And she said, I I didn't go to the bathroom in the middle of the night. I was like, you didn't flush a toilet? She's like, no, because I did have the urge to go to the bathroom. But when I looked in my bathroom, I saw this dark entity standing there just looming in the corridor of her bathroom. And I said, what time was that at? She said 2.47 because I looked at my clock and I was like, oh, okay, cool. So whatever that was, that was jumping on my bed. Uh, I don't know, was it going to lure me into the bathroom? Was it going to catch me in between rooms? Um, but yeah, it's that. that was kind of the long and short of it. And as much as it freaked me out, that wasn't the first time something like that had happened to me.
0: All right, we have to take a quick break, but we'll be right back. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Do you ever feel like you just need to get something off your chest? Contrary to the belief of, I think, every single man in my family lineage dating back to the hunter-gatherer period, bottling things up does not work. When you push those things down it begins to build up and negatively affects you. And of course, the stuff you bottle up always finds a way to come out eventually, usually not in a very good way. Therapy is a place to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. There's a reason people say it's like a weight has been lifted off my shoulders afterwards. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. And you could switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Otherworld today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P Otherworld.
1: Hi, this is Amy Poehler here to tell you about a new improvised show from Paper Kite Podcasts. The team that brought you Say More with Dr. Sheila. Check out our new parody podcast, Women Talking About Murder. It's a show about women... Talking about murder. Every episode features special guests, twists, turns, and the mystery of a missing co-host. Available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Folks, springtime is here and it might be time to clean out the closet and finally update your wardrobe. Quince has you covered with timeless pieces that never got a style. You'll have them in your closet forever. Quince has all the essentials for men and women, and everything is made from high-quality materials, which is very important to me. The best part? All Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with Top Factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes savings on to us. And, like I mentioned... Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices, along with premium fabrics and finishes. I recently went on a little shopping spree myself. I got a chore jacket, a Mongolian cashmere cardigan, and a quilted jacket. Basically stuff that I could just throw on top of the normal old t-shirts that I wear every day to make myself look a lot more presentable and fashionable when I need to. I also got some new sheets for our bed. They have so many to choose from. So indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash otherworld for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's quince, Q-U-I-N-C-E.com slash otherworld to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash otherworld. Springtime is here. I've recently had all of my windows open, letting in the breeze, the smell of fresh flowers blooming all over my neighborhood. This is what a house should smell like. It should not smell like your cat's litter box. Thankfully, Pretty Litter makes that very easy. Nothing beats Pretty Litter's ability to instantly trap odor. It's ultra absorbent, lightweight, low dust, and one six pound bag works for up to a month. It also gives me peace of mind knowing Pretty Litter's crystals change color to indicate early signs of potential illness in my cat, like urinary tract infections, kidney issues, and more. This is especially useful now that my cat is hanging out constantly by our screen door, getting visitations from coyotes, raccoons, squirrels, other cats, who knows what else. So it's very helpful knowing that if he picks up anything weird from them, I'll notice right away in his litter. When I first got my cat Merlin, I tried using the cheap cat litter that comes in those huge, giant bags from the pet store. That stuff is awful. Some of it smells worse than the smells it's supposed to be covering up. It does not have to be like that there's a better way to live. There's no reason for your house to smell like your cat's litter box. If your house smells like a cat's litter box, that's on you, that's not on your cat. Pretty Litter is amazing, you should give it a try. Go to prettylitter.com otherworld to save 20% on your first order and get a free cat toy. That's prettylitter.com otherworld to save 20% on your first order and get a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply.
2: I've never had sleep paralysis, but I worked at this fire hall um, the first few years of my career. And it was um, this old part of the city called Swansea. And it was what was then its town hall. And there was a jail cell in the basement and there was a hayloft upstairs where the dorm was. That's how old the building was, but they'd functioned it, or they had converted it into a fully functioning um, fire hall. And the... the the folklore is there was someone who was arrested in that jail cell, hung themselves, and that person forever haunted the basement. And that's where the gym was. And I remember working out that day and being like, this is a creepy-ass basement and normal things. I saw the normal swishes in the side of my eyes. And then we went to bed. And at Toronto Fire, we worked 24-hour shifts. So in our dorms, we we go we all sleep in the same room. And uh, I fell asleep, like, on my stomach And my head kind of turned to the right. And we play pranks on each other all day long. It's like being part of a hockey team. It's how we get along with each other. And I thought somebody was messing with me and jumped on my back. And they were holding me down. And this was, like, after we had all been in the dorm for about an hour. And then I start looking, like, left to right, like, very funny, guys. You're hilarious. And I can see everybody is in bed and snoring. So... It wasn't sleep paralysis. Sleep paralysis, because again, it was the same thing. It was. I was very well aware of what was going on. I thought it was a joke, and yeah, I, it was the same thing. I just went through the same mode of "go away, you're not welcome here, leave me alone," and then it just stopped. And it's like I feel like my life connection to the paranormal has always been like when things want to make themselves known, they do it with me because they it's like they know I'm not scared but at the same time I don't know what they want to tell me I don't know what it means I don't know if I'm sensitive but it has happened so infrequently that I I just I you know it's something that happens I tell a few friends that think ghost stories are cool and then I just that's it (laughs) So this was, like, really, really different. It wasn't something that I could wrestle my way out of. And, you know, we have two professional wrestlers in the house. (laughs) Um, And then I'm, like, an extra paranormal nerd where I got down the rabbit hole of trying to Google this address because my Tegan was just renting there. So I wanted to know what happened in this house. And that's the other thing. Like, being a firefighter, I deal with death all the time. I deal with um, someone who's been deceased in the house and then the neighbors are calling in because they smell something that's not so wonderful. I deal with um, doing CPR um, and first aid when people kind of cross over. Like, I've literally felt people go from warm to cold in my hands. Um, And sometimes I think my connection to the paranormal and the occult has really helped me in that because... um, you know, if I do lose somebody on the job uh, when I'm at work, I do my best. I do what my training enables me to do. But you leave that house knowing that this family has just lost a loved one or someone just lost their partner. And the like spiritual ritualistic part of um, being into witchcraft and the occult is I have a ritual to kind of cleanse myself of that. I I always burn sage and I'll light a candle at the end of a day and, you know, hold space for someone who's just lost their life. So yeah, just, it's always been woven in and out of my life, some sort of connection to something that I believe is like, we are just all energy. And when you pass over, I've seen just that, like, felt it, that energy leave a person. And it's literally just a meat suit and it's respectfully a meat suit, but we are just our energy. So it has to go somewhere. So a lot of my girlfriends are tarot readers or mediums and psychics or Reiki masters. So when I tell them this, these stories, they they not only can align themselves with it, they, they treat them or they kind of channel this stuff on their own. So I leave Tegan. I leave her in this house. I tell her she needs to call somebody. Like she needs to start saging this place by herself. She needs to find um someone in the witchcraft community or um someone who can help cleanse the space because it it's not safe. Like that's a lot of energy that this thing has because it you know, negative energy usually feeds off people that are going through it or that have shown fear and like this, this is something that made itself physically known to me. So it's only going to probably get worse. Um, So I fly home from Orlando to Toronto. And when I land, um, I'm getting all these text messages from my podcast partner. So I have a podcast called Wild On. And um, she is really angry at me about, Something that doesn't make a lot of sense. Like we have a really good relationship um, and there was nothing I could do or say that seemed to be turning uh, the conversation around. I wasn't remedying what seemed to be making her angry. So, you know, things get lost via text, tone, just generally understanding. So I picked up the phone and I called her and we're partners, but we're also friends. We don't have any issues with communication. We don't ever get short and uh, angry at each other. We just talk it through. And it just seemed like she continually kept getting more and more angry. And it just, it was so confusing. I didn't understand. It was like I understood the words she she was saying to me, but it didn't match her anger. It didn't match how this just kept spinning like in a more dark and an almost like sinister way. And it, it it just, it continually became more confusing and it made me more scared. And the more scared I got, the more I realized like there's something bigger at play here. Like there's, did this thing attach itself to me? Is this thing injecting itself into my life? Um, because this was something that I've never experienced before, and especially not with Michelle. We had a great, easy relationship. Um, and we're both adults. We know how to communicate. We've both been to therapy. And that is what prompted me to make an appointment like the very next day with my girlfriend, Anna, who is a Reiki master. Because I thought, oh God, like h- how is this going to play out in, in my day-to-day life if, if this thing is attached to me? What is going to happen? And I will say, like, the benefit of being someone who's been in the world or who's been always been interested in the world of occult and witchcraft, like, I had the guidebook 101 to what potentially happened to me and what potentially can happen to me if I don't kind of grab this thing by the horns.
0: So I talked to her quite a bit about this, the fight with the friend. It seemed to be basically about nothing and out of nowhere— in a way that it made her feel like something was just off, like something was wrong. The way I understand it, it sounds sort of similar to when a person's dog will start barking or get really angry out of nowhere and in a way that causes the person to think that something else might be present. That's how Chantel felt something was just not right, which made her decide to reach out to her friend that does Reiki. For those who don't know, Reiki is a type of alternative medicine and energy healing. The practitioner uses hand movements to move energy throughout the body. They don't touch you. It's not a massage. If you don't believe in Reiki or energy healing at all, then it's basically just a person slowly moving their hands above you for 60 minutes, which is interesting because I've heard that people who try it often have some very intense reactions to it. Reiki actually came up in one of the first episodes of the show, the uninvited guest. But I would say that most of the time, people who are seeking out Reiki are not seeking it out to fight off some kind of mysterious, angry spirit. However, in this situation, that's exactly what Chantel is doing. I'll let her get back to her story and take it from here.
2: I called my girlfriend, Michelle. So uh, Anna at Spellbound, she is uh, a woman I've gone to for the past two and a half years for Reiki. And my girlfriend, Michelle Sanctuary, is someone who did a tarot reading for me three years ago, and she's become my girlfriend. So first I go to Anna for Reiki, and I explain to her, this is what's happened. I'm terrified whatever was in that house has tried to attach itself to me, and um, Like, what can we do here? And she, you know, was like, I'm going to kick this thing's ass. Don't worry, I got you, girl. Like, let's sort you out energetically. So... Reiki is typically an hour. For those who don't know what Reiki is, it's um, you lay down on a massage table or really any flat surface and you close your eyes. You're in like a perfect like supine position, like the anatomical supine where you're laying on your back, your hands are to your side, your palms are facing upwards. You close your eyes. Typically there's either um, like Reiki music playing or like like what they would play at a spa where you put headphones on. So it's like sensory deprivation kind of thing. And um, the art of Reiki is kind of checking in with every different section of your body and mind that has energy that needs to be moved around because it's stuck or something is blocking it. And it's supposed to be Uh, this energetic release and healing. So they start at the top of your head and they don't touch you and they move through every single section of your body. So what is supposed to happen is you basically have fleeting thoughts or uh, you might see colors or the temperature in your body will change. You'll go from really hot to really cold, but it's supposed to be like a very still treatment where there's not a lot of anything going on. It's all like very cerebral. But what, what can happen over sessions when you become, when you really like relinquish to this process and you stop being, uh, you try, stop trying to control it in a way that like, if you're having a surgery and they put you under, under an anesthetic, you think to yourself, well oh, it's not going to put me under and you count backwards from 10 and then you never make it to 9.35. It's similar to that when you kind of give in to this experience and you just, I guess, turn everything off. That's disbelief. Um you start feeling these things and you do feel temperature changes and you do have these thoughts that aren't yours and you don't really realize it till after the session. But also, um, some people like flutter their, their eyes or, um, they, they move their hands. But specifically for me, when I started really succumbing to this, this process and this energy moving, um, my arms moved off the table, like couple inches. And what makes it so strange is it's not you moving your arms off the table, which doesn't make any sense at all. So it's not like I've had this thought where I'm like, oh, I'm really relaxed. Uh, you know, what would be good for me is moving my arms six inches off the table. And then they, as sessions went on, my arms would move further and further off the table until they were basically straight in the air. And this, my arms would stay up for the full 60 minutes and I would have the thought, put your arms down, you're exhausted. This is not comfortable. And I couldn't put my arms down because I'm not the person who put my, I'm not the person, the thing, the energy that I don't know what, that put my arms in the air in the first place. And it's not overly typical for this to be such a strong reaction. Um, but it, it does happen. Um, And and that's when, you know, there's really movement going on in your body. So when Anna, Anna, excuse me, moved from like you, so you have your crown chakra, which is the top of your head. And then you have your third eye, which is over your eyes. And then you have your throat chakra. When she put her hands over my throat, um, she got very strong visions of a gory, like arterial splatter amount of blood coming out of my throat and she just felt like disgust, she felt fear and she said the energy was very negative, it was very sinister, it felt very male and when she was at my throat I remember having this thought that scared me and I've never had this thought before obviously in my life um, but I just got this thought like well you can just kill her and Uh, 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 It was like, uh, 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 this is my girlfriend, Anna. (laughs) Like, I love Anna. I would never, like, it was just, and it was, as quickly as it happened, it left my mind. And she said that she felt during our Reiki session like someone was tugging on her T-shirt the whole time. It's not that this negative whatever was trying to attach it self to me. It just wanted to be known and heard. And she said what she couldn't decipher was if that was what happened to that thing, that energy, that person or that's what it wanted to do to me. But she said that whatever it was she fought it in the energetic field (laughs) and it wasn't my problem anymore. But she said that she's never experienced anything like that and also, people who do Reiki, the, the Reiki masters, uh, they're doing their own chants in their head. They're doing, like, their own prayers. They're calling in, like, spirit and energy and angels or whoever they work with. And she said the entire time that she was checking in with all the different planes of my body, she felt as if there was someone behind her that kept tugging on her shirt. And... Um, so it was a pretty intense experience for both of us. I felt a lot lighter after the session, that was for sure. And I didn't feel scared anymore. Leading into the Reiki session, I actually felt quite scared, especially because I had this bizarre argument with my business partner. And um, then I called my girlfriend, Michelle Sanctuary, and I told her about my trip. And I before maybe like 3 weeks before I left for my trip she called me and she said, "Hey, do you sage every day?" and I said, "No, I'm pretty lazy about saging like I just do it when I feel called to do it or I just want the smell of sage in my house." And she said, "Okay, well, I had this dream and I don't want to really tell you about the dream because you know, I don't I don't want to implant thoughts in your head like it could just be like sensory input, but I had this dream that you basically the the outcome was you should sage every day. And I know Michelle really well, and she has a lot of like visions and messages that come through in her dreams. So I know she's covering something up, but I don't even want to know at this point. I was just like, I'm going through enough. I'll sage every day. And so I called her and I told her what happened on the trip. And I told her that I went to Reiki, and I told her about the negative entity and the argument with Rochelle, my business partner. And she said, okay, well, I'm going to tell you the truth now. She said, when I had that dream that encouraged me to call you to Sage Moore, the dream was that you went away on a vacation to somewhere where there was water and beaches. And when you were away, a negative, negative entity attached itself to you and it wanted to kill you. And <laughs> I was like, great, <laughs> because that is exactly what happened. And Michelle's been reading my cards and she does um, automatic writing and she channels whatever comes through. She's been doing this for, like I said, three years now and everything she's ever predicted has come true. So that is just like a really specific dream. And she said she didn't want to tell me the dream because it makes her seem like she's out to lunch and lunch and she doesn't know if if that's the truth, but you got to be really careful what you tell people. You don't want to just, even if they're your friends, you don't want to say, hey, you know i just had this little this little dream and you know there's this like if you go on a holiday there's this thing it might want to kill you but just like ignore it just burn some sage um so yeah and then i stayed on tegan up until when well i, I still talk to tegan uh she's finally out of that house but she did live in that house um for another couple of years but she's back uh, with WWE and she can leave America and go home to Wales whenever she wants. And her life is good. Uh, but I did, I did research a little bit on that house and and the owner. And, uh, all I know is I, I couldn't get a lot of information, but, uh, doing some girl CIA work, uh, that person who did own the house went to jail at some point. Um, but for what, I don't know, because that was the part of the website where you probably put your credit card information. So I didn't purchase it, but something definitely happened in that house or whoever owned that house had put in something really negative, or maybe it was built on something that it shouldn't have been built on top of. But um, yeah, that was pretty much the most intense, weird experience I've had with the paranormal. And the best part about it was that I didn't experience it alone <laughs> because I know I'm not crazy. And I had this conversation with my business partner, uh, Rochelle. Uh, when I, I've had Tegan on my podcast twice now. And my podcast just speaks to my girlfriends, my sisters in professional wrestling. And uh, it's more of like a candid, conversational style interview. We don't really talk a lot about wrestling, we talk about our lives. So I had her on my podcast before I visited her, uh, this this paranormal visit, and I've had her on the show after. And I spoke to Rochelle about the fight we had for the first time since it happened. And she said, you know, I couldn't figure it out then but it makes sense now since we're speaking about it. But I felt really weird about that fight. I don't know why I was going at you so hard. It didn't make sense. Like nothing matched. And she felt like, yeah, there was something else going on that she can't describe, that she couldn't control. And it scared her enough that she didn't really want to talk about it ever again. And I didn't really talk about it until we had Tegan on the show again. And yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So this experience just reaffirmed that there is more to life, this world, than we can explain that we know. And in a way, I feel like I have a little bit of a leg up when it comes to my firefighting job when I deal with so much death on the regular. Um, You know, I see these mourning families and I've been through a lot of loss in my family in the past couple of years as well that your energy goes somewhere, for better or for worse. And although you might leave this life in the physical sense, energetically you can kind of go or come wherever you want. And there is some peace in that, even though these experiences have been a little bit on the more negative, scary side. There has to be some... um, Positive in it, too. Like I lost my brother-in-law last year, who's my age? And I live in his house, and that's where I currently am right now. So the first night I stayed in that bedroom, I uh, fell asleep. No problem. I didn't think it was weird. I know some most people would think it's weird, but to me, I feel close. I feel close with my brother brother-in- law that I lost. And I was kind of half asleep, half awake. And I heard my my glass of water dragging uh, across my bedside table. And I just thought, I'm hearing things. Maybe this is part of my dream. And as I'm rationalizing with myself, as I've historically done, that this is something I'm just hearing in my dream, the glass, which is completely full, just tips right over. And there's spillage of water everywhere. And I just thought, okay, so... I have all these paranormal experiences. I deal with death a lot. I've been fighting for my life in my career, uh, in my day to day, but you know what? I miss my brother-in-law and this is his way of like communicating with me. So for all the negative, scary things, um, it's a bit of a blessing because I know he's here. He's part of my spirit squad. And, uh, I, I think he's going to be doing little funny things like that for the rest of my life just to make himself known and present. And he has, actually. There's been a few things in this house, and I have a new partner now, and uh, he lives here with me. And he is not in tuned to the paranormal and is completely not as keen on witnessing these experiences <laughs> as I am. And, uh, yeah, he he he's learning. He's learning that being with me means you're a, a part of this life experiencing paranormal things, too, so...
0: Okay, thank you so much to Chantelle, AKA Taylor Wilde, for speaking to me for this episode. I was going back and forth, trying to get Tegan Knox to give me her side of the story, but she's literally on WWE Monday Night Raw tonight, and it's just too busy, which is a very, very fair excuse, if you ask me. But maybe one day in the future, we'll end up getting her side of the story. Thank you so much to Chantelle Malowski, AKA Taylor Wilde, for sharing her stories of wrestling, Firefighting and the paranormal this has been episode 68 Dark Match and you've been listening to Otherworld Otherworld is executive produced and hosted by myself Jack Wagner our theme song is by Koberman. The soundtrack of this episode was by North Americans. This episode was edited and engineered by Theo Schaefer. Our artwork is by Cul-de-sac Studios. Production help by Nikki Kate Delgado and Haley Pearson. Please show us your support by subscribing, leaving a five-star review, and telling your friends about the show. If you want to hear bonus episodes, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash otherworld. Our social media is at otherworldpod. Thank you to the team at Odyssey. J.D. Crowley, Jenna Weissberman, Leah Reese-Dennis, Rob Morandi, Eric Donnelly, Matt Casey, Maura Curran, Josephina Francis, and Hilary Schuff. Follow and listen to Otherworld now for free on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. And finally, if you or somebody you know has experienced something supernatural, paranormal, or unexplained, you could send us your story at storiesatotherworldpod.com.